Hey, my name is Dan, and I am on staff here at the church uh, uh, working with youth and young adults. And I'm really excited about just having the next uh, little while just to talk with you a little bit about, uh, well, on one hand, an ongoing series that we're doing on basics of the faith revisited this summer, uh, last summer, the summer before. It's kind of the summer series uh, repeat here. And so if you want to get caught up on some of the topics we've done in the past years, uh, please feel free just to hop onto the website. Parksvillebaptist.org, or if you are lazy like me, we've registered the name pfbc.ca, which is much simpler, gets you to the same spot, and you can look up the, uh, the sermons and catch up on some of the basics of the face revisited. Uh, we've covered a lot of topics over the last two years uh, in the summer months on this, and uh, one of the ones that we haven't talked about involves uh, spies, prairie farmers, uh, water cooler chit-chat, and um, Jesus. And by the end, you'll get why that matters. I had a friend who wrote a book uh, a few years ago called The Clairvaux Manifesto. And uh, he was nice enough to come to me and ask me at the time if I'd write an endorsement for the book. And uh, I read this to the uh, crew at the first service at 8.30 this morning. Uh, I'm not going to read my, my endorsement, but what I brought it for today was because of the the titles, anybody who does a book endorsement has titles after their name. You could just write your own endorsement and make up a name and nobody would know. But if you have some kind of a position or status behind the name, oh, oh, you know, it gives it some weight. Now, I didn't make the back cover. So apparently my status and my cred doesn't have that much weight. But I did make the first page of two pages on the inside. So that says a little bit something, uh, I hope. <clears throat> and really, I don't care. Because it's just me. Uh, and I'm not impressed by myself when I write endorsements, but that's okay. Um, I'm going to buy this because I endorsed it. I got a free copy. What do I need to buy one for? Okay, uh, here's what it says it says Dan King, and then here's my, my status comment. The, the second one is about a, a charity that I co founded a number of years ago, and so that was fine. But the first one that he chose to put by my name is what caught my attention. It says Dan King, youth culture missionary. Now, he could have put youth pastor on there. Uh, he could have put pastor of youth and young adults, Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church, Parksville, B.C., but instead he chose to put youth culture missionary. And I had to explain that right off the bat because in the tradition service generally, uh, although I'll come to you often wearing something similar to what I'm wearing now, when I preach at the 1030, I always am wearing a suit and tie in the tradition service. It's just part of the tradition of traditions is that the pastor who preaches wears a suit and tie. And so when I showed up in a pair of jeans... Even though I had actually spent time cleaning my sneakers this morning, so, you know, that counted for something. And even though I had this shirt pressed this week, um, because I knew I wouldn't be wearing a tie, so I had to go, I, I was wearing jeans. And that needed some explaining in tradition service. And so I said, look, here's the deal. Dan King, youth culture missionary, and when we have missionaries who come, often they'll wear clothing from the place they come from. Uh, Graham was up here uh, several weeks ago, and he had talking about some of his stories from Africa, and he had kind of an African-style shirt on. Well, I'm a youth missionary for the youth culture, and so I'm wearing jeans today. I could be wearing shorts in the summer, but you don't want to see my knobby knees. So we went with jeans, and it was okay. We're going to talk about missions this morning, evangelism. Uh, sometimes in the church we call it outreach. This whole idea of taking Jesus to the streets and representing him, representing him in our culture. Whether it's next door neighbors, 
whether it's uh, another province in Canada. We just got back with some students from Montreal. Had some people just come back recently from Ireland where they were there doing missions work. Whether it's across the world, uh, this is mission. Sometimes we call it when it's local evangelism. And if it's a group effort, we call it outreach. But we're going to throw it all in the same pot where it all belongs this morning. Let that bubble for us. And that's this whole area of mission. Uh, And we're going to kind of root it in a couple of scriptures this morning. So if you brought your own Bible or if you want to grab the one in the chair in front of you, uh, you can put one finger in the book of Matthew, specifically chapter 9, and the other finger in the book of John, chapter 4, because those are the two places that we'll find ourselves most of the time this morning as we jump into the area of missions. While you're finding that, uh, it was great to have Hannah's baptism this morning. Uh, There's another one today, and the details are in the bulletin, at 1 o'clock down at Englishman River. If you zip down to see Jennifer uh, uh, get baptized at 1 o'clock, her write-ups in the bulletin insert. You can read that for yourself. We're at the Big Tent RV. You go in there, and there's directions to head down to some of the sites, and we're going to be in the river down there. And then uh, this evening, we're going to be, um, we're going to be uh, back here at 6 o'clock at the Thirsty Service with a couple of other people for baptisms tonight. So it's a day of celebration, and it's a day of baptisms. Uh, Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to, I mentioned, camp ourselves this morning. And let me, let me read a bit of it to you. Uh, we're going to start in verse 35 and walk through a little bit, actually, into chapter 10 this morning. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. You can follow along, whichever translation that you have handy there in front of you. Uh, in paper or off your smartphone or whichever you have. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, and healing every disease and sickness. This is kind of his modus operandi. We especially pick it up in Mark, that Jesus goes out and makes proclamation of the gospel and then follows it up with practical ministry into the lives of people. And so it's uh, just looking at his natural practice here as he goes out. Here's what happens in verse 36. When he sees the crowds, it says he has compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Verse 10, uh, pardon me, chapter 10, verse 1. He called his 12 disciples to him. And he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. The next verse goes through exactly who those 12 disciples were. And then he kind of commissions them out. And as he does that in verse 7, I just want to highlight, he says, As you go, preach this message, the kingdom of God is near. And so we've got this picture in the day of a life of Jesus as he looks out on this topic that we've come to know as missions. And, and there's several areas of what he walks through that I just want to highlight and journey through with you this morning. And, and it starts with his eyes. And it starts with um, his heart. And so this morning, I want to ask you, when you look out in whatever neighborhood you see, what do you see? Um, when you walked into this building this morning that our church meets in, this building our church meets in this morning. I don't know where you saw on, on both the doors, big signs plastered that said, urgent. Did you see those? Or were the front doors so common to you, you just kind of walked in? Uh, by the way, if you're visiting with us, either on holidays or maybe for uh, the baptism or for the child dedication, massive welcome to you. Um, I don't know whether you noticed the big posters that said urgent on them. 
But to those of you who are regularly here, did you see it? Urgent children's workers for the fall are needed. And sometimes our eyes aren't opened to the needs around us. We just simply go through the motions. We're so used to just pulling up and walking in that we didn't even see this alert to a need for people to put their hand to the harvest field, even within these walls on a weekly basis. We open our eyes. Sometimes I go on prayer walks is what I call them. Um, Spiritual observation journeys, perhaps you might say, uh, around the area that I live in. Whether it's here in Parksville, maybe it's over through Qualicum, maybe it's down at the beaches, uh, maybe it's in, in other areas of the downtown area. Uh, I walk and I, and I watch. And, and I do a lot of conversing with Jesus. Jesus, what do you, what do you want me to see in this city? And uh, the Holy Spirit just points stuff out to me. It's, it's almost like playing catch at the beach. Uh, when my kids were smaller, we had these beach balls, and we'd play catch at the beach, right? I'd, Dad would throw them the ball, and they would do the best to, to, to catch it. Sometimes it would just bounce right off them, right? But as they get older, they would catch it. And you wanted to, as a dad, I wanted to kind of encourage them they were doing well. So sometimes you'd throw it a little bit extra hard when you knew they weren't going to catch it. So it would bounce off them and come back to you. Well done! Volleyball stars. Oh, I caught well. And I kind of feel like when I go out with these walkabouts with Jesus that we're kind of playing catch a bit. Jesus, what do you want me to see? And he kind of throws me observations. And his expectation is that I wouldn't grab them and just carry on with them, but that I would throw them back to him in prayer. We'll get into that in a little bit. But I kind of go on these walkabouts and play catch, as it were, with Jesus. Jesus, what do you want me to see about the neighborhood that I live in? What do you want me to see about the city that I'm a part of? Sometimes, uh, and I've taken groups to the mall in Regina. Where did that come from? I'm in the wrong province. In Nanaimo. And we've, although I've done it in Regina, I guess that's why I was thinking about it. Uh, And we sit in the benches in the mall. And we just watch people pass us by. And we ask God to break our heart and open our eyes to the things that he notices in them and that break his heart. And give the Holy Spirit the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes static may get in the line spiritually, but we listen and we trust that the Holy Spirit, who only speaks the words of the Father, will give us insight into the lives of the people who walk by, and then we just pray for them in response. We play catch with Jesus. Um, In Luke chapter 19, Jesus did this very thing. He went to walk into Jerusalem before his Passion Week, his journey to the cross started. And the observation is he makes is that as he looks over the city of Jerusalem, that his heart is broken for the people in that city. His compassion on them. First uh, Samuel is something that I stumbled upon uh, a particular verse in uh, a number of years ago. First uh, Samuel 15. And it's talking about this prophet Samuel and his, his observations of the Israel nation at the time, and specifically the king at the time, a guy named Saul, who was not really pleasing his actions to the Lord. Um, 1 Samuel 15.10 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, and this is what God says, I am grieved that I have made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Then it says, Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Uh, the first time I discovered it, or, or one of the times I discovered it, was 
July 9th, 2000, 2003, and I wrote myself a little note. I put, uh, highlighted that verse, Samuel was troubled and he cried out all night to the Lord. And I wrote a note to myself, says, what about this generation, this city that I'm in? When have I ever cried out all night to the Lord? When I have ever allowed myself to be troubled for them that much or at all? And a prayer, Lord, would you begin to trouble me for this city and this generation that I live in midst? God's heart was broken to the things that he saw around him. And he was troubled by it. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't much get troubled. I, I sometimes get troubled for stuff that goes around the world. Um, London and the riots in the last several weeks. My heart was troubled about that nation. Uh, the famine that's going on in our world. Uh, troubled about the lack of food for so many and whether it's efficiently getting to them or not. And sometimes that informs my prayers, right? But how often do I look at Oceanside and really get troubled by what I see? Uh, missions and the call to evangelism is for out there, not here. I'm too familiar and I miss the, uh, I miss the urgent signs. So Matthew 9 starts with Jesus having his heart broken by what he sees. And then he makes an observation. He assesses the situation. And, and this is what he says. The harvest, it's twofold. The harvest is plentiful. There is a massive spiritual harvest to be taken here. People are ripe, as it were, in their, in their lives to embrace Christ as Lord. Let the kingdom of God come and establish itself in their life. But then he also, on the flip side, says, but the workers are few. God's got an incredible interest in partnering with us in proclaiming his gospel. Yes, the Holy Spirit draws people to the Father through Jesus Christ. Yes, the Lord puts it on their heart, utterly deprived as we are, that we might have some inkling to draw towards God. But he calls us as people to join with him in proclaiming that and calling people to come. And Make Jesus Savior and Lord. So he says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the spokespeople, the representatives, those who will go out and do the deed of pulling in the harvest is few. It's, it's really few. The, the, the harvest in Oceanside is, is plentiful. I work with students, uh, and so I familiarize, with, familiarize myself with stats for students uh, uh, there are just under 4,000 high school, middle school, and young adults, uh, kind of 25 and under, in Oceanside. In the news, Parksville, Qualicum, Bowser, Arrington, Coombs, kind of all combined, right? So just under 4,000. A figure that probably 300 or less of them have any kind of meaningful connection with the church at all. That's less than 1%. I become troubled for that. And yet, as I go out and as I talk to people, there's spiritual interest all over the place. And I get to seed in truth about the gospel and all sorts of lives and conversations. I get to water what others have planted and see it begin to grow. And in some instances, I just get to call people to say, why wouldn't you embrace Jesus as your God, as your rescuer from sin? Like, you've got lots of questions, but really, are those excuses? What's keeping you? Let's go for it. And they say, you know what? Yes, I am ready. And they jump in. And so that's that harvesting. Um, this is 25,000 people in our community. 
and not a lot who are interacting with Jesus as their Savior and this church as a community of faith to work out uh, salvation in. Um, the harvest is, is plentiful, but the workers are few. Uh, last few weeks in youth ministry, there's need. We just, we just posted a 20-hour-a-week program coordinator position that we need to fill by September uh, in the youth ministry. Uh, we've got an urgent need in children's ministry. There's always looking for leaders and growth groups. This is stuff that is just even within the walls, let alone outside in our community, where we would turn our eyes to see our neighbors and then chat with them. And, uh, but the workers are few. How many of you are fans of either back in the 60s for the TV show or now currently the, the Mission Impossible movies? You know, you know the theme song? Dun, 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 hum it with me. Dun, 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 dun. Some of you... It's not. Thank you. I will not hum, Dan, but yes, I affirm your hummingness there. Great. Good job. Remember the show. Fantastic. New movie coming out. Mission Impossible here in another month. Tom Cruise gets his spy gear on again. And uh, some of you are quietly going... Tom Cruise, yay. Others of you are more holy and Jesus. Jesus, I'm the only fan of Jesus, not Tom Cruise. Uh, but Mission Impossible, do you remember the, the line that they gave? Um, what, do they, what do they say when they broke down the mission for them? Um, they would say, uh, well, part of it was, should you choose to accept it? What was the first part of it? You remember? Shout it out. Your mission, should you choose to accept it? And... I wonder if we don't take that line sometimes and think somehow that this spy group of Mission Impossible type people, these undercover specialists, uh, doesn't apply to us. Your mission, which is impossible by the way, all these scenarios for them are all but impossible. And we look at the harvest field in front of us and we, you know, really God, seeing 25,000 people come into your kingdom pretty much, I can't see it happening, pretty much impossible. Uh, and then the other half, should you choose to accept it? And somehow we think this invitation of the Lord to come into the harvest field, to be a part of bringing in this harvest is optional. We say, you know, maybe should I choose to accept it? I don't know if I really, I'm not an evangelist. You know, the Holy Spirit gives gifts and some of them are hospitality and some of them are generosity and some of them are leadership and some of them are it says prophetic, and some of them are uh, evangelism. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Some of I look at these missionaries who come and share, and they, I don't have an African shirt in my closet, so I'm really not a missionary. Um, maybe I got jeans like Dan, but I'm not sure I'm into the youth scene, so uh, that doesn't count. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure I'm going to accept this. Um, and reality is that the mission that's been given to us isn't one that we can accept or deny. There's something much, much, much more in this. Um, so Jesus is looking and sees the need. His heart's broken. He makes an assessment. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then he gives his first response. And his first response is this. Pray, therefore, for the Lord of the harvest, that he would send workers into the harvest field. Prayer is the first response. We uh, are in the middle of a five-year journey, a mission-focused kind of vision at our church of uh, imagining what the impact on our community could be if we really walked out our vision statement, our mission statement as a church. Our mission statement of the church is this. It's to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, 
So it speaks of discipleship. It speaks of following Jesus and, and learning and walking in obedience. Uh, we saw people here who were being baptized, and maybe some of you need to take a step of obedience, and you've been making all sorts of excuses for a long time. You just need to follow Jesus in obedience, simple as that, and be baptized. Um, we saw that working itself out this morning. And so there's this side where it's fully mature followers of Jesus Christ. But then there's another side to our mission statement that says, who choose to impact our world. Who choose to impact our world. And so we've, we've said for the five-year period, and we're, we're getting near the end of it now, we've said we want to imagine what the impact could be if we gave ourselves to that vision in a number of different areas. And one of them is in prayer. And so we've set aside weeks where we take 160 hours and, and just pray, nonstop prayer, for a week back-to-back, one hour at a time. There's groups that form that come in this building every single week and pray. There's a group of guys come on Thursday morning. There's other groups who come and pray on a regular basis. So we're giving ourselves to prayer more and more and more as a church because it's our first response. It's our knee-jerk reaction. It's what happens when Jesus says, there's a call, and immediately we go to prayer. It's like in Ephesians chapter 6 where we have the armor of God given, and he names all these, Paul does, all these Pieces of armor that we're supposed to put on as we stand firm for Christ, as warriors for his kingdom, as we get the spiritual armor on. And the first thing we're to do when we're all suited up and we've got it all ready to go, okay, now we pray. That's our first response as the people of God. It's to pray. That's our first response. John chapter 4. Some of you got your finger in there. It's cramping. Hurry up. We're done four already. Okay, flip there now. Um, and uh, John chapter 4. 35 to 38. Um, Where are we here? My food, says Jesus. That's 34. To the will of the Father who sent me to finish his work. Okay, 35. So here we are. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? Well, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. Even now, the harvest is uh, he harvests the crop for eternal life, so the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and others reap, is true. Uh, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard labor, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. We stand on the shoulders of generations in this church and this community who have gone before us, praying and praying and praying that God would raise up lives to be harvested in the kingdom of God. That God would whiten the spiritual heads of people that they might be taken in to the storehouses. Um, and, uh, and, and Paul talks about this too, doesn't he? In 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, where he talks about, 1 Corinthians 3.6, where he talks about, um, I planted, Apollos watered, but God has caused it to grow. And so there's this sense of we're praying and asking God to cause stuff to grow, but we've got to do the legwork as well. But it starts with prayer. And so prayer is our first response. And Jesus says that. Pray that God would send workers into the harvest field. But he ups the ante. Because as soon as that praying is done, Jesus gives a commission to every disciple who's around. There's a lot of different disciples around Jesus at the time. There's some who end up being a bit of doubters. There's some who end up being betrayers. There's some who end up um, just messing up and really just face-planting in their faith. But he commissions them all and sends them all out to go and preach. Nobody is excluded. My gifting is not evangelism. But that doesn't mean that you can't go and share your story 
with people about how God's impacted you. Um, the Great Commission comes at the end of Matthew. Uh, Matthew 28 records it for us. And uh, says this in verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. So this 11 of the same 12 that Jesus initially sent out, right in John 4 and uh, Matthew 9. It says that the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. See, that's good news to me. These guys had hung out with Jesus personally, face-to-face for three years. At the end of that journey, they're still doubting some of them. They're still not sure. But God commissions them anyway. That means Jesus is saying, look, no excuses. You may not be perfect. You might not have it all together in your faith yet. But, here it comes. Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Because of this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We saw that this morning. Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then there's a promise. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's repeated again in Acts chapter 1, right? Uh, And highlights it from a bit of a different angle. On one occasion while they were eating with him, Jesus gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which is the Holy Spirit. And he clarifies to them, he says, um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Ends of the earth. That's us. I like to think who are native here to Parksville. Some of you are visiting the end of the earth right now. Did you know that? This is the end, Vancouver Island, we're the end of the Western world. We got Tofino beyond us, but nothing else. After that, it turns to the east. When Jesus is talking about going to the ends of the world, we are one of the ends of the world here on the island. This is the end of the western world we live in. And I like to think that Jesus had us in mind as he was saying this, even to the ends of the earth. We live at the end of the western world. And even here, we are to declare the gospel of Jesus. No excuses that we are to go and do it. And it starts in Jerusalem. It starts in our own neighborhood, right? It starts where we're familiar with, with our next door neighbors, with our locker mates at school, with the person at work that we interact with. And we look for opportunities. We open our eyes to see what God's doing and let it break our heart for them. And then we begin to talk. After we've prayed, we begin to talk with them and see what God would stir up. What are my excuses I can have to talk with people and tell them my Jesus story? We've all got a story. Prairie farmers get together and work together to bring in the harvest. Spies. Um, here's your mission, should you choose to accept it. Well, we're to accept it. Here's Jesus commissioning people in the middle of it all. And then there's water cooler talk. Okay, well, maybe it's, it's a well that a woman's drawing water from, talking with Jesus. But today it would be a water cooler, I'm sure. John chapter 4, back there, just a little bit further back. Jesus is talking with somebody he ought not be talking to. Um, neither for proximity nor for cultural appropriateness. He's talking to a woman of Samaria. He's gone out of his way to find her. And he starts talking to her about something that's just common. Something that just happens to water. I'm thirsty. You want to get me some water? And this dialogue starts between, in John 4, between Jesus and this woman who's at this well. And begins to use water as an analogy for the spiritual life. The water I'm asking for, it will never 
quit quenching you. It's living water. And they go back and forth and talk about this. What are the common points between you and the people around you that you can talk about? You know, you're sitting beside school and the locker mates here. And, and you, guy, this is a small locker. Did you ever get stuck in your locker when you were a kid? Did anybody ever jam you in there and lock you in? And your locker mate kind of looks at you beside you and goes, Why? <laughs> you're going to stick them in there or something. You say, well, wouldn't it be incredibly dark and scary to be locked in that kind of a place and be hopeless to get out? I mean, they've jammed you in here. They've locked your lock. There's no hope to get out. Yeah, that'd be pretty freaky. Why are you asking me this stuff? I've just been thinking about it. It reminds me of, it reminds me of something I learned at church. What? Well, yeah, like we're locked in sin and we can't get out unless someone from the outside comes and frees us. I was just thinking about that. What are you talking about? Since you asked, talking about Jesus stuff I'm learning, man. You've got to check this stuff out. Oh, and we look for excuses, stuff that pops up right in front of us that we can draw. And Jesus is doing it with water. It's right there. He uses it. And they have this conversation. And eventually, as a friend of mine would say, Jesus reads this lady's mail. I mean, he tells her everything about herself. She's got some significant relationship issues with the guys. They're coming and they're going. And he tells her, look, there's some problems with it. And he speaks into practically into her life. And her response is in verse 25. The woman says, you know, I, I know that there's this Messiah going to be coming called the Christ. And, and I know that when he comes, he's going to explain all this stuff that we've been talking about to me. And then Jesus in verse 26, by the way, I paraphrase that. Jesus in verse 26 says, I am, uh, or I who speak to you am he. And, and then in verse 28 she leaves her water jar and this woman runs back to town and says to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? And they came out to the town and made their way toward him. And we hop over some of the stuff we've already read and go to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, her story. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the Savior of the world. Our stories have a power to put a light on Jesus. And God will use those stories to draw people to himself through his son, Christ. This is God, how he works. This is, this is how we're called into this stuff. And it's as simple as telling stories about how God's impacted us. Some of us came to faith when we were young. Maybe it's not the most recent story. Maybe God's done something lately in our lives where we've had a moment of crisis in our spiritual life or in, in the way that things are going on in our midst. And Jesus just broke into that and showed himself again to be our rescuer and our savior. And that becomes a story that we can tell. God uses that to draw people to himself. And so, Jesus, spies, prairie farmers in the harvest, and water cooler conversations. This is about mission. This is about something we're all caught up in and called to. Prayer is our first response. And then we go. It's dangerous. It's full of excitement and adventure. It's a wild ride, this idea of playing catch with Jesus. Here's what I want you to do, Dan. Okay, I'll do it. I pray it back to him, and then I go, and I live it out. 
it can happen within the church, just real, this church community, real basic stuff. Man, children workers, youth workers, growth group leaders. I mean, ton, there's tons of stuff. What's your response to that? Outside this building, as you interact with your neighbors and in the neighborhoods around us, what's your response to that? The response can't be if you choose to accept it. It's, uh, okay, let's go. And these are some of the basics of faith that God wants us to revisit in these days and in this series. I was reading uh, of a guy named, uh, a book by a guy named Edward Clown- Clowney this week. And uh, he was just talking about the church and the mission of the church. And I just want to end with this, this quick reading and then we'll have the worship team. In fact, the worship team wants to come up while I'm talking. We can do that. He says this, he says, Our fear condition as lost sinners forms the dark horizon where God's grace brings the dawn of hope. Let me read that again to you. I love the, the artistic, the, the imagery that it, it creates in my mind. Our fearful condition as lost sinners forms the dark horizon where God's grace brings the dawn of hope. In the Bible, salvation is God's mission to a lost world. It is God who seeks Adam and Eve in the garden. God who promises the son of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. God who warns Noah and calls Abraham and Ur and Moses at the burning bush. The book of Judges, the narratives of the book of the Kings, and the words of the prophets all point to the golden text of the Old Testament from Jonah 2.9 that says, Salvation comes from the Lord. God himself must come to bring his salvation. Skipping down a bit, it says, Jesus looked with compassion on the crowds of Galilee seeing them as sheep without a shepherd. Varying the figure, he longed to gather the people of Jerusalem as a hen would gather her chicks under her wings. As his parables, uh, in his parables, he also spoke of this gathering task. He describes heaven's feast and the refusal of God's summons by those who have been invited. And As God's servant, Jesus calls guests to the supper saying, come for everything is now ready. The harvest is ripe. As the time for crucifixion draws near, Jesus declares to his gathering that his gathering would take place as he was lifted up to the cross and to glory. Jesus came to gather and to call gatherers, disciples who would gather with him, seeking the poor and helpless from the city streets and the country roads. Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Mission, this is his last sentence here that I'll read. Mission is not an optional activity for Christ's disciples. So Jesus, as we pray now to conclude this time of just looking at your word, my prayer, God, is that um, it wouldn't just be a nice sermon, but, Lord, that it would cause us to be changed, to challenge, to, to go out with a new understanding of our commission, and the empowerment you give to us to fulfill it as we walk in obedience to you.